From thepracticalherbalist.com, I'm Patrick, and this is Real Herbalism Radio. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com. Holistic living encompasses a balanced approach to diet and lifestyle, often with an emphasis on herbals as a first stop to medical care. Once we've stepped into standard medical care settings, we're often bombarded with warnings against using a holistic approach. But the truth is that herbalism offers an important complement to all facets of life and healthcare. Today we're talking with clinical herbalist Maria Noel Groves, author of Body into Balance, an Herbal Guide to Holistic Self-Care, about getting the education you need to make herbs a powerful part of your holistic lifestyle. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome, Maria. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I enjoyed reading your book thoroughly, to be honest. Wonderful. From cover to cover. Oh, yes. yes. Which All I in did. one night, right? Yes. Well, <laughs> no, I did actually <laughs> take about a week. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you have to take it in bite-sized chunks. Just from the very yeah. beginning, taking a look at this book, it's gorgeous. Thank I mean, you. How could you not just like pick that up and go, oh, that belongs in my hand? I have to thank Story um, Story Publishing because they do a wonderful job. And we had a great local photographer and book designer. And we all worked together to make it a visual experience as well as a learning experience. What about these drawings? The drawings were a illustrator. I never got to meet the illustrator, but um, but we wanted to do something that incorporated anatomy as well as plants together. I love the artichoke on the front. So oh, you got the artichoke and calendula, like two calendula. of my favorites. I was excited to see artichokes on my way in. Those are hard to grow in New Hampshire. They are oh, really? wonderful. I'm very fortunate. They grow really well in my yard. There's oh. a couple spots. Do they get Such frozen out in New Hampshire? Yeah, it's too cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, are, they like the warmth. That's for sure. So did you set out, first thing, when you were five years old, we were like, okay, I'm going to be an herbalist and I'm going to write this amazing book. Was that your whole plan? Of course not. Um, but I was, you know, at a pretty young age, I was really interested in herbs. And so my mother, she's a nurse. She really likes herbs and health and, and those types of things. She was actually going to become a midwife. And then she got pregnant with me. And so she's she's an OB nurse. Um, but she would have preferred to have gone the holistic route, I think, if she hadn't had uh, got a little derailed. And, um, and so... It, I was always interested in plants and would practice and we had stuff in the garden, but it wasn't until college that I really started to get into herbs. And going into college, I was debating between being an English teacher, being an English journalism major, or being a psychologist. And it's interesting that in retrospect, with herbs as my main focus, I sort of do all three of those things with, you know, not as a psychologist, but I do clinical work with herbs. I teach classes and I do a lot of writing. So well, and the understanding psychology really helps when yes. you're looking at people and what they're facing and what they're dealing with. I mean, what stresses one person doesn't stress another and, you know, understanding some of the underlying uh, mind connections. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I imagine that helps a lot. Yes. Sometimes, you know, we, there's occasionally some crying in the, yeah. in the office as people are going through their, their life stories. But also I think it's useful too, for me to see when it might be handy to refer them to a good quality, holistic therapist in the community, mm-hmm. um, because that can be an important part of the journey. Well, a good yes. psychologist and is taught how to listen. And that's what a good herbalist does too. It seems like a lot of herbal practices just listening and listening for patterns and you know you you did have a good rounded education for being an herbalist Thanks. that's for sure for this specific book how did you manage to come up with the idea 
Well, I'm a little bit OCD and I love to organize things and I like to teach things and I like to write things. And so after I got out of herb school and I started getting out in the world, I put together a herbal study program that grew over the years and is now the Home Herbalist series and then the Beyond the Home Herbalist series after that. And so it was basically the class note. So we'd go through a body system each night and then also make a remedy. And I've refined it over the past 10, 15 years or so that I've been teaching it. And my students kept saying, you know, I like your class notes more than I like some of my herb books. And eventually it sunk in. And I thought, oh, that's what I could do. I could write a book that's basically my class notes, but revised and expanded and and visual um, because my notes are kind of boring and black ink on paper. (laughs) And this is a gorgeous book with lots of photography and charts and things. And uh, and so that's how it how it started. So then I contacted Story and pitched the idea to them. And it took them a little while to say yes. um, But ultimately, they said yes and moved forward. I have to say I'm glad they did. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they looked at your experience as a writer because you do writing Herb Quarterly and there's another herb magazine that you write for? Uh, yes, I write for a variety of magazines. So I write for, I used to be an editor for Natural Health Magazine, um, which is no longer, but I write for Herb Quarterly regularly. I also write for Remedies Magazine, Taste for Life Magazine, um, and it's not a magazine, but I write for the Herbal Academy of New England and do some of their coursework and their herbarium pieces. Well, you have that tea one too. Uh, yes, I tea, was working tea for um, Tea Magazine, which then tea. became the dailytea.com and now is not really, I don't, um, not they're much. not a regular publication anymore. Mm-hmm. It's hard to stay in business for yeah, these magazines. It is a tough. It's a tough business. It's yeah. been become a tough business. Yeah, they're just figuring out how to do it. Just like yeah. the herbalists are, they had to start over too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We all have to start over every now and then. That's true. Have you had any having to start overs as a part of your herbal career? Well, I think. I mean, yes and no. I'm always redefining and looking at what I'm doing and is it what I want to be doing? Is it successful as a business? Is it successful personally? And so one thing I tried doing for a little while, I thought, well, maybe I'll make products and sell them at fairs. And I did that for a very short span of time and realized very quickly that that was not something that I enjoyed doing, nor was it particularly profitable. And so I took those two things and, you know, my thing is going to be education. I really like to teach and to help people in a variety of ways. So my business is threefold and it's writing, teaching and seeing clients. I have to say, I really loved the refresher course in how each of the body systems work because I'm not, you know, clinician, clinical herbalist myself and I'm not science girl. I mean, I can understand it. It's not that I can't. It's just I don't care to remember all those <laughs> complicated terms. So my my memory of how the systems work gets fuzzy because, again, not caring to remember all the details. And it was an excellent refresher because it wasn't the in-depth, boring, sciencey stuff it often is. Mm-hmm. And yet it wasn't so lightweight that I was like, oh, even a high schooler would find this dull. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's perfect, you yeah. know. Yeah, I found it very useful because there are some things that I'm used to talking about. SSRIs, for example, just going through the list for the pharmaceutical SSRIs and talking about that very different conversation with fellow clinicians than it is with just you know a, a new herb student. You can't have that same conversation. You have to make it more palatable to a different audience. And being able to read through your years like, oh, yeah, 
those words are just as applicable. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I think this book, in my mind, bridges that gap between talking to the everyday person who may know almost nothing or nothing about herbs and Mm -hmm. health and the human body and somebody with more of a medical background because the concepts that we're discussing are not super radical. I think that most of them are pretty well established. They're in the anatomy and physiology books, but we're just talking about them in a very open way and a very easy way while tying in how the herbs work and why they work in a particular way. So, you know, like, oh, okay, when the gut is out of alignment, then we want to use those slimy herbs and those wound healing herbs and those, you know, gentle astringent herbs, Mm -hmm. maybe some antimicrobial herbs. And then things start to really make sense. It's not just a big list of this and a big list of that. It just sort of ties it in, but it's, it's in a language that a lot of people understand. Yeah. It seems like you were uh, really putting some focus on herbs for the digestive system, which I hear from a lot of herbalists because that's where it starts. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you can. It's a circle. I don't know if yeah. you can put a pinpoint in the circle, but it's easy when oh, food I'll put come a pinpoint in. in it right there. It's okay, the, the digestive and the, uh, the nervous <laughs> endocrine system. You know, stress and energy and mood, as well as digestion. I'd say those are my two big, the two big things that I focus on as a practitioner. Yeah, it's because that's what you see as clients. Mostly, or that's just your particular interest? Um, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, for me, you know, going into herbalism, the nervous endocrine system was, you know, one of my areas of weakness. And so that's what drew me in. Um, And then for other people, I think the digestive system is a a primary area of weakness where a lot of other conditions arise from it. So I do see a lot of folks with conditions in those body systems. But then I, I feel like those body systems and those sets of conditions affect so many other things. Mm-hmm. And so they're nice foundational pieces. So it's you know, the beginning of the book, we get into the foundations of health and the foundational systems. And so to me, those are probably the two biggest, although the immune system, detoxification, those are also pretty important too, and can tie into so many other things that might be going into, on in the body that don't seem connected, but are. And I think we as herbalists are used to viewing the body and viewing health that way. But I don't think the everyday American is. Um, I don't even know that most of our regular practitioners are used to looking at the body in that interconnected way. Yeah, they're well, specialists, super specialists. Yeah. Well, and there are a lot of herbalists like me who tend to look at things as energy systems instead of thinking about the specific, like the digestive tract. I don't think about that. I'm like, well, is your digestion hot or is it cold? Is it damp or is it dry? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like I said, I'm not clinical, but that's the way my mind thinks. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of approaches, like the Matthew Wood approach, yeah. that really makes sense to me. It has very little to do with the stomach as a specific organ, right? You know, and one of the things I really liked about your book was that it, as I'm reading each of the systems, you got into it just enough that I could start matching up. Okay, that would be hot. That would be cool. That would be, you know, mm-hmm. dry and for me, or whatever. Yeah. She starts talking with the hot, cold, and I'm just, I don't have an answer for your mysterious question. I know. We, we do have these different ways that we approach herbs and these different languages that we have for them. And so, you know, one of the things with the book is that. At the time, especially when I first pitched it to Story, there I don't think there were any books that were really geared towards the layperson that were organized by body system and that were in that sort of holistic Western medicine type of framework as opposed mm-hmm. to Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine or one of those systems. And so um, since then, there are – while I was writing the book, some other books that were organized that way did come out. But, um, but that was really why – 
why I wrote it was because there just wasn't much like that out there. And, but we all have our different languages. And so if you start talking to me about TCM, my eyes are going to glaze over. I've gleaned bits and pieces. Um, <laughs> I, I know what a leaky jingate is, but, um, but I, I'm not, that's not my language, but my language is anatomy and physiology and right. sort of the Western exactly. approach. And I also do like the mm-hmm. hot, cold, moist stamp. There's, you know, I allude to it throughout the book. Yeah, I wish I had had the like, space to get more into energetics in it. But yeah, maybe, I'm maybe thinking there the, might be a know, second year, edition yeah, second coming edition, out. Yeah. Or I, volume two. Yeah, we, we cut 100 pages out of a manuscript and I could have easily added at least 100 more. So oh, I have, I've already, I've already got the to-do list for the revised edition another 10 or so years. So it means mm-hmm. all of our fans need to contact Story and say, okay, we love this book. Let's get volume two going now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Candace and I have had that problem when we write our ebooks where one of us or both of us start going down the rabbit hole about a particular topic on this particular herb and then the other person is, okay, so half of that. Okay. No, those are my favorite words. They're so yep. important. Yeah. But that just turns into something later. Yes, it does. Yep. And sometimes good things both. happen when you have to cut things down. I see yeah, that with some actually, of the, like yeah. when I write for Remedies Magazine, it's like write a 400 word article. Like 400 words, that's, that's almost nothing. nothing. I could like write that in five seconds in an email. That's a um, yeah. But then when I do, I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds great. Yeah, it wow. forces you to be succinct. It really I didn't does. need 2,000 words. 400 was okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about what you're doing right now. What are you, I mean, your te- it sounds like you're, when I look at your website, I just think, this girl, oh she's got no time to stand still. This yeah. is, it has felt like that, especially in the last couple of weeks, which is not my normal. I, I, li- I believe in time to relax and, and personal time. And I, I believe my clients should have that. And I believe I personally should have it. But right now I'm super busy with book promotion. Mm-hmm. And so I did some traveling in Asheville. Now I'm here in Oregon for oh, just for the long weekend. And uh, and then in September, I'm going to be taking the whole month off and doing a, a road trip. And because I'll be at the Great Lakes Herb Fair, I'll be at the Traditions in West. Western Herbalism Conference in New Mexico, and I'll be in Pennsylvania twice for the Mother Earth News Fair and the American Herbalist Guild Symposium. So very excited to be having those opportunities. But you know, the day-to-day when I'm not traveling and promoting the book, I'm seeing clients, teaching classes. I'm teaching on a much more reduced schedule this year just to kind of maintain sanity. But I have my Wednesday night classes where I'm doing the Home Herbalist series, the Beyond the Home Herbalist series, and and also kind of correcting homework from the online series. Mm-hmm. And and then writing, but, but writing slightly fewer articles this year than I usually do just to, again, try to maintain mm-hmm. – you know, not let go of anything completely, but let go of little bits of things so that I can, you know, go so to bed have- at night and have weekends <laughs> yeah. and go for hikes on a regular basis. I live surrounded by a state park, so my sanity nice. is so much better if I can go for that nice. lunchtime walk or now that it's getting hotter out, that maybe the morning walk or the evening walk. So is it foresty or mountainous it's or what's it like where you are? Pine forests. So pine where forest. I am, it's mostly hills. New Hampshire is cool, kind of like how you guys have it here. You can drive you know, one or two hours and be at the seacoast and one or two hours and be in the mountains. Um, but where I am, it's more just hilly and uh, lots of poor soil pine forests. So we have those acidic, acidic woods. So we don't have as much biodiversity as you guys do here. Certainly in Asheville, their biodiversity was amazing. Um, but we have a lot of really great plants. So what plants do you have? We have, well, I'm surrounded by white pine, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a lot of that, a lot of hemlock tree and then some of our you know, maples and birch and those, you know, of course, we have their maple syrup. So oh, we have yeah. lots of maples, oh, yes, sugar maples and other maples. Uh, and then on the forest floor, we have a lot of blueberries. So I work quite a bit with blueberries and blueberry leaves. And and then in the gardens, we have every, you know, pretty much everything that will grow in a short 
season. I'm in a warm four zone, so Mm -hmm. it does limit me a little bit. So do you see a lot of diabetes in your clinic? I'm seeing more of it, I think, because I've been writing more articles. And so I, I just in the last couple of weeks, since a few articles came out, I'm getting more phone calls from people who have diabetes. But I work probably more with sugar as just a component of the overall picture. Mm-hmm. And I, I am working more now with people with actual full-blown diabetes. But I think more often I see it as pre-diabetes and, and a component of other health concerns that are going on. Wow. I don't know how you can manage to keep all the client your patients together with all of the things that you're doing that's yeah, really there are amazing you're relying really on for yourself i love adaptogens <laughs> i love adaptogens for myself and i love adaptogens <laughs> for my clients and so they especially what i call the calm energy adaptogens so not the zippy eleuthero and ginseng and but more the calm energy so i use a lot of ashwagandha gotu cola holy basil those are three herbs that i personally love and use frequently and then shizanderberry is another one that i use frequently in my practice, especially where it seems like people need a little liver mm-hmm. support. Um, so adaptogens are a huge part of my daily regimen. And then I also do use some anti-inflammatory herbs too, just for kind of day-to-day aches and pains and those kinds Which of Which ones are your favorite anti-inflammatories now, like at the beginning of summer? Well, I don't think I, it's seasonal for me, but I, I am a fan of turmeric, which just feels a little cliched, but turmeric is pretty amazing. Um, and ginger is actually one that I've been using a lot of, just ginger capsules. And I don't use a lot of, gin, I don't use a lot of capsules in general, but the ginger capsules have been really handy because I get menstrual cramps, I get headaches, and I, you know, I also get motion sick really easily. And it's really good for all of those things. And the encapsulated form is pretty good for that. When I get sick with a cold or flu, I'm a super cold person um, energetically. And so I think that's another reason why ginger is so great for me. But when I get sick with the cold or flu, I usually will turn to the fresh ginger root in tea with, you know, some lemon and some honey. But for those other kind of day-to-day aches and pains. That one's a biggie. Um, Another one that works really well for me personally for aches and pains is blue vervain because I'm one of those Uh, driven, slightly OCD, lots of neck pain and muscle tension. Mm -hmm. My shoulders are usually up around my ears um, and I'm a control freak. And so blue vervain, just a few drops of that will often do amazing things. Yeah, yeah, You're using them as simples. I combos. I do both. So I do keep blue vervain usually around as a simple. Um, and I use it sometimes in client formulas. But for me, I usually use it as a simple and I might throw some blue vervain flower essence in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ginger capsules, that one's just a simple. But I also will make daily tonic blends depending upon my needs are that particular month. And those will change. When I go to refill them, I might make slight adaptations. Oh, it's winter and I'm kind of in a little bit of a blues state because it's cold and it's winter and I'm not seeing people that much. So I'll put St. John's Ward in it for the winter and then pull it out in the summer and throw something else in. So, What about with turmeric? Is that a blend? The turmeric for me, that one's actually a – I've actually just been using the Zyflamend product. So, um, so that one's just one that I purchased. I do use turmeric powder in my food a lot and sometimes I'll make golden milk and I do use a tincture of it, but I find for me personally, it's a little bit hard on my gut. So Mm -hmm. I don't use a lot of turmeric tincture. I usually use it more as a, like a synergist in a formula or a supportive herb in a formula as a tincture. Okay. So tell us about golden milk. 
Oh, golden yes, milk. Threw that one out. Yeah, sounds sorry. a little bit scary. It's, oh. it's so wonderful. So there are many different ways to make it. So I don't know that mine is an official recipe, but it's a simple recipe. And so I'll just take whole milk, and you can certainly use any other non-dairy milk. If you don't do cow dairy, you can do something with fat in it. So oat milk surprisingly has some fat in it. Um, coconut milk almond milk. Those are other good candidates. And you heat it up and you can simmer it with the turmeric in it. That's probably even better. But for the person on the go, you just add it in to the hot milk and uh, and with a little bit of honey and maybe a pinch of black pepper. And I also love to add a little cardamom and nutmeg mm-hmm. to it. And that, that can be delicious. really yummy. Wow. So, so is that something you're, you're drinking every day or? No, just when I want a little something warm and Warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. You could drink it every day, but I don't usually get around to drinking it every day. I probably don't need that much dairy. <laughs> it sounds tasty, though. It is. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hunter Creation is a full-service graphic design studio. They offer design for print, like business cards, brochures, and large-format banners. They also offer design for web, specializing in self-hosted WordPress sites, e-commerce, and single-splash pages. To top it all off, they can get just about anything printed for you at amazing prices, whether or not they do the design work. Visit their site at huntercreation.com for more information. Now back to the show. Candace and Sue are talking with clinical herbalist Maria Noel Groves, author of Body Into Balance, an herbal guide to holistic self-care. So you have a clinic in New Hampshire. Yes. And what is your favorite and most popular, well, maybe those could be different. What's your most popular herb that you use? Well, I, there are a lot of different herbs. Herbs are kind of like children, so it's hard to pick a favorite. And there are a lot of them that I use regularly. I'd say I use the adaptogens quite a bit in general. But one fun herb that I use a lot that I think often gets overlooked but is becoming more popular is motherwort. Um, do you guys grow motherwort oh, in your garden? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we use so much in the clinic that there's no way I could have a big enough garden really to accommodate it. Yeah. It's that, an amazing herb. It's I've wonderful. I've used motherwort for panic attacks. Most yep, often, and it, for me, there are panic attacks usually that are hormonal and, you know, hormonal, hormonal in origin. There's nothing to be panicked about, and yet I am panicked and I'm having a hard time breathing, and my heart is just palpitating, mm-hmm. which yes. sucks. And motherwort hat works really quickly. I mean, yeah. usually I find that you know a few drops and a glass of water, and then a, you know a few more drops, or maybe a, dro- a dropper as much as a dropper full, and it calms down. I, like that's that exactly quickly. how I use yeah. it. And I, I use it in other ways as well, but that's probably one of the primary ways. I love kava, and kava is great for panic attacks too. And it's probably a little bit more broad spectrum when it comes to panic attacks. But motherwort is great because it grows in my garden. I can make my own. I can teach other people how to make their own and give them little motherwort babies to plant in their own gardens. Um, because and, you and have a lot of motherwort babies when you do grow yes, motherwort. Yes. yes. Sometimes I, still, I, don't, I never seem to have enough motherwort to make the tinctures I want. Um, because I just, I, I use so much motherwort, but at the same time it does pop up. And so I always seem to have some little sprout somewhere I can give away. And, uh, but I use it for, especially when the panic attacks reside in the chest and, and feel kind of cardiac in origin or not cardiac in origin, but cardiac in events. So like that tight chest or tachycardia, or maybe it's a panic attack that feels like a heart attack, but it's not a heart attack. Um, those yeah. would be some of the times I've had yeah. plenty of those. So, uh, yeah. you know, if somebody's <laughs> having a heart attack, then motherwort would not 
not be the herb of choice. It would be go to the hospital, maybe take some cayenne on the way, but get to the hospital immediately. Um, but And it's also great for just a general nerving. I use it oftentimes in my clients who have kind of chronic anxiety, and it's one that I do feel more comfortable using on a regular basis, but it's not so sedating that during the daytime it doesn't bother them. Um, whereas some things like skullcap, you know, skullcap for me can get a little bit bluesy if you're taking it a lot and then also can just make some people a little bit sleepy. It really depends on the person. Um, but motherwort seems to be pretty amenable to a lot of people. I've used it alongside pharmaceutical antidepressants with good results without seeing any issues with negative interactions to help bring things back into balance. That's one of the nice things about it is that its interactions list is minute. Yes. And, yeah. and we're using it in somebody right now um, who has hyperthyroid, which is not something I work with that often. Usually I see it's more hypo, hypo yeah. um, but we are using that in combination with lemon balm and we just added bugleweed to the mix and also some holy basil and some maca. But the primary herbs are the, you know, those top three, the lemon balm, the motherwort and the bugleweed. And we're getting really great results. You know, every time we see her, the numbers are dropping, um, dropping and raising, but mostly dropping in the right direction. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask the you know, dummy question because I'm remembering hypo means not enough thyroid production and hyper means too much. I figure there's probably at least one other listener out there that gets them confused like I do. So I should ask. <laughs> and, and as my client described it, because basically your, your thyroid is the, the organ that or the, the gland that is like the crank on your, your, your wheel, you know, decides how fast or slow you're going. And so this it's hyper and she feels like the energizer bunny on crack. Oh, just, that would be hard. You know. I mean, irritable, you can't tons. sleep, running, you know, can't uh, yeah. can't eat enough food, losing weight, and within a month, feeling like a human being again. Nice. And then each month, the numbers are improving. Nice. That's, that's powerful. Nice. And she's yeah, seeing powerful. an endocrinologist and a regular doctor at the same time. So we are working mm-hmm. together, um, and it looks like we'll be able to get her back into get her back into shape without having to take any meds or help her take her life her back. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It must make her feel really empowered. Yes. Okay, so that's one that you use a lot of. Mm -hmm. Do you have one that's a favorite? Because Sue had asked about both the favorite versus the one you use the most. Or is it kind of really... Well, one of my favorite herbs, and I think we're going to get into this more later, is go-to cola. And one of the reasons why I don't use it as much is because I really like it when I can harvest my own and make medicine. Because I feel like the quality on the market and the availability on the market can also be kind of tricky. And so if I grow my own, it definitely comes out really nicely. But it's hard to get enough of it. And that one I love because it's useful for so many different things. It's just, do you want me to go into it? Please do. So of course it's an adaptogen and it's one of the more calming adaptogens. So it works for energy as well as for anxiety, for stress, but it's also a brain booster. It also improves circulation. It also helps prevent um, some of the symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia potentially. There's some pretty good research for a wide range of brain issues and cognitive issues. And it's a great wound healer. And it helps strengthen the capillaries and the blood vessels. And so it really does a lot of different things that make, make it applicable to different formulas topically and internally. Hmm. That sounds like a really versatile herb. It's very versatile. I wish I had more of it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some beautiful gotokola coming out of Hawaii, but that's a little easier in Oregon to get than over there in New Hampshire. Probably. Well, you I know. imagine Oregon, you might be able to actually grow it here 
If it had winter protection, if you closed it. Right. And then it can go crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mm, Very weedy. I wonder if it could take over some parts of my yard, Sue. Yeah. Shall we? Well, would it be that? Would that be any better or worse than the bindweed or the... You know, they might just the duke it out. Ear. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, like they'd have, they'd have their own fi- private fight club outside your house. And so, for the I rest of us who okay don't, who can't get it to survive the winter, because it does have pretty, you know, it wants to be in India, it doesn't want to be in New Hampshire, but you can grow it just as an annual, or and you can bring some of it inside. It does pretty well in a potted plant as a potted plant. It's not super happy to be inside, especially since I don't water my plants regularly, and this plant <laughs> loves to be watered every single day. Mm-hmm. But um, but you can get it to survive through the winter. And How then tall does it. it get? It's not it's that like tall. A, it's it's really just like low. a creeping vine. It sort of I reminds wonder. me of, uh, of creeping ivy. wonder if it would work well in a hydroponic setting. It might, Because I've got a little arrow garden, and it's hydroponic. So if it likes a lot of water and it doesn't get to be more than 20 inches tall. It likes good soil. Like, mm, but that you put in the nutrients. It likes so. to grow in feces. So, yeah. you know. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could change. Well, I could add in some why you want to watch your quality on the market. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So would the E. coli issue be pretty strong with that one? Yes. Yes. That is definitely an issue with it is E. coli. And another story, good story about it is um, when I was studying with Michael Moore, he had was talking about getting it at his old earth shop and he's going through the drive and there's a Calcutta race ticket in his mm. in his go-to cola which makes you wonder where that go-to cola was coming from yeah so mm. there was a a what in a Calcutta race ticket like you know like race the racetracks ah, in Calcutta okay. ticket. In Calcutta yeah, yeah, ticket. yeah. Ticket. yeah. Uh-huh. probably wasn't local I'm no, guessing no. that wasn't a local source for him. No. <laughs> no, no, probably not. He was in the desert, so this is not a plant that would probably want to be in the desert. Right. Yeah, definitely not. So what is an herb substitute for go-to cola since it's difficult? Well, I, no, I, I would just grow it on your own. It's not that difficult to grow, and you can you can get it to go. We have folks in Maine who are growing it. Avena Botanicals grows it. Gaia grows their own. And so what they usually do is they just keep it in the greenhouse and then they plug it into the garden or they just grow it in the greenhouse mm-hmm. all. I think at Avena, they might grow it in the greenhouse all winter long and all summer long. But in Gaia, they'll take plugs in and mm-hmm. then they'll put it back out and grow it in the field. So and it grows so, well from seed? Uh, it grows well. From, it actually grows poorly from seed, but it grows very well from divisions and cuttings and they'll sprout pretty easily. So it spreads pretty well. So mm-hmm. as long as you have a big enough spot and in my yard, we have very hungry woodchucks and they like anything that's nutritious mm-hmm. and go to cola is a, a nice little leafy green. And so sometimes I have to put little little uh, <laughs> protective barriers around it. Or I've been trying to experiment with hanging them as well uh, mm-hmm. just to keep have them Have you tried of- cayenne around them? See if that would work. I haven't. That's a good idea. Usually I've been growing them in containers. Yeah. So do the woodchucks go under the ground and eat it that way? or Actually, once I I put a cover over it, 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 the woodchuck didn't get to it. Okay. And now, so those are big, big, like beaver looking things. Yes. Yeah. They they look kind of like beavers and they eat everything that's nutritious in the garden. So So they're like rabbits, but so plumper. uh, Yeah. They're bigger than a rabbit, but yeah. And it's the same thing as a groundhog. They eat my comfrey. They eat my... They eat my red clover. They eat my plantain. They eat my. They are your favorite. They eat a lot of things. I see this. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes we eat them, actually. My husband is a hunter, so we're not above such things. (laughs) They taste like roast beef when you slow cook them. Just give them fair warning. You guys want to keep coming into my yard. I'd rather just not have them eat my plants, though. I'd be better not to, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, how big is your 
place you got? You got a lot of gardening you do? I I mean, it's small. It's a teaching garden and a personal use garden primarily. So I've, it's two acres and about an acre of it is, you know, gardens and, and lawn, although our soil is not very good out in the pine forest. and mm-hmm. uh, But the gardens have been amended and they're pretty nice. So we have a couple hundred species of medicinal plants and the previous owner also loved medicinal plants and was a Reiki, did Reiki and flower essences. She had a little head start. So she, so we already had trillium. We already had a ginkgo tree. We already had golden seal and a lot of other really great plants. And then I've added to it over the last 10 years. Yeah. That's something Sue and I've tossed back and forth many times. But when we talk about teaching gardens, we talk about something that's suburban because that's what we've got. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like our teaching garden is 20 feet by 20 feet. that's the size of teaching garden we talk about (laughs) i think that's one of the tricks with herbalism is we're either like out in the woods Mm -hmm. and you've got to you know you've got to get people people to go out to see you or um you're where the people are but then you've got to figure out how to get the plants there so that people can really experience the plants garden on the roof yeah which people Mm -hmm. do out here yeah they do sure well so how did you end up being this great gardener I'm not a great gardener. I've done everything wrong. (laughs) Oh, that's why they say not to do that. Um, So I've made a lot of mistakes over the last few years, but I'm gradually learning and learning what the plants like. And fortunately, herbs are pretty hardy plants as long as they don't get eaten by other critters, um, Mm -hmm. which does happen. That's probably my biggest issue. But besides that, they'll usually grow and do pretty well. Vegetables are more challenging in my mind than the herbs are. Vegetables really require a lot of special care. They're like little... Prima donnas, yeah. In my personal opinion, with the purple thumb I've got, and definitely as I've gradually improved the soil in the yard with compost and mulching and all those other good things, getting chickens on the property that they don't they don't free range in the green season because I don't want them pooping in the garden, but they hang out in the winter time and I'll use their compost, and so that all those things have definitely helped the garden. Things have gotten much happier each year. Yeah, they do a lot of pest control. I got chickens too that run around, and they would they would right now love to be in my lettuce bed. Oh yeah, that would be the best. And I'm just so mean for not allowing that. It it makes me sad not to have them roaming around the yard, but they make such a big mess that it's also good. I I don't mind that it's the digging up things you just dug. Yes. Yeah. And I use a lot of mulch because we have a lot of weeds. Yeah. And uh, they love the mulch. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. They'll spread it. Yeah. Yeah, Do you have your your garden all fenced off or you do fence them off? No, I have to fence them off because the garden's kind of everywhere. It's, you know, we've got just got them all over the place. And Mm -hmm. so it's not one specific garden area to block off. And then we've got the forest and and all of that, too. Wow. That's magnificent. So, yeah, about half the yard is regular yard and about half the yard is is forest. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. When was your mom a big gardener? She's a, she has lovely gardens. She's, I mean, but I have to remember that she's been at them for 30 or 40 years. But And yes, my dad yeah. has helped out on a lot of them too. But she has gorgeous gardens that grow some herbs and vegetables and flowers. Mm-hmm. And it's not very big. It's mostly kind of the picket fence area with a few other little flower beds here and there. But they're beautiful. Hmm. Wow, that's that sounds wonderful. What a beautiful way to live. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's Sometimes I go and get extra lemon balm from her because she gets, she grows more lemon balm than I can. I can't, oh, I can't, I can't grow yeah. enough lemon balm. I, yeah. uh, it's a very uh, different climate when everything freezes, Sue. I it's guess just so. Really gardening is a very different experience when it freezes. Well, you it's and really I have very different. different gardening issues. Yeah. I'm pulling lemon balm <laughs> like weeds. Some people they have are. lemon yeah. balm grow really invasively, but mm-hmm. not, not an issue for me area. personally. 
Yeah. Bee bomb, you know, bee bomb might be a little bit tough. Spearmint's taken over in certain places, but mm-hmm. but not lemon balm. Yeah. I, when I put in the little, I put in actually, that was a pretty decent sized strip of spearmint six years ago. Mm-hmm. Sue laughed at me. She's like, that's going to take over in no time, you know? And it took six years before it got to the point where I'm like, it's getting mildly irritating. It's trying to get into my raised beds a little bit, but I'm just pulling it out. <laughs> you know, just took forever to to take over. Whereas in Sue's yard, it probably would have taken over like the next year. One little yeah. sprig would become fifty. Yeah, and then those fifty all yeah. over. Mm-hmm. So you seem like the big part about the gardening is not only just the joy of gardening, but it's how you're learning about the herbs. Yeah, from the ground up. I feel like it, it does matter to experience plants. When I was first uh, first studying herbs, I you know I'm, I'm a student who likes to be a student, so I love to be in classrooms. And I worked in a natural food store in college, and so I, I didn't feel like I needed to make my own remedies. There were lots of great remedies already out there. But then I happened to study with folks who are really into being in the ground, digging in the dirt. Folks like Rosemary Gladstar, Nancy Phillips, and Michael Moore. And I realized that it's true if you make remedies if you harvest the herbs and make your own remedies you just develop such a more meaningful connection with the plants and your medicine is that and do you encourage that with your patients as well well they're my clients because i'm not a doctor but yes right, right. No, sorry <laughs> sorry yes. that's my um, but yes i definitely do and so especially this time of year when i have plant babies when clients are coming to my house i'm oftentimes whatever plants that are using like hey do you want a catnip baby do you want a you know korean licorice baby do you want some mother wart and and so now many of them are growing some of the herbs that they use and some of them are even making their own remedies instead of having me make them for them, which I really like. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Yeah, I think the medicine that you make for yourself is often better than what you get. Not that what you get isn't stronger, but because you made it yourself, you're putting something else, the umami into it, Yes, <laughs> if you will. You put something into it that makes it work better for you. Yeah, At least that's what I find for myself and my family. I found that kind of concept in your book quite frequently where you're really talking about the patient, sorry, I keep saying patient, the client, the um, the person who is reading the book's empowerment, that you need mm-hmm. to be empowered to know how your body works and how these plants grow. And you had little, little phrases that were adorable, but well, this one's really easy to get a hold of, hint, hint, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those kind of pick yourself up and and take charge of your life. That seems like a philosophy that you espouse. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can certainly hire an herbalist. That can be really helpful, especially if you're kind of beyond your own capabilities with what's going on. And you could certainly go and buy remedies that are already made. And sometimes that's easier for people as they're first starting off. But take and then there are other folks who just take readily to that do-it-yourselfer approach. And they Mm -hmm. have conditions that really are handle, you know, work well that way. But yeah, there's a lot that you can do if you can empower and educate yourself. When I worked in the natural food stores, I would see people coming in who would read a quick article and then be like, oh, I'm going to take this plant without knowing anything else really about it, except, you know, two sentences. Or in one case, one of the worst cases, somebody wanted... They wanted more of an herb, but they couldn't remember what it was called. And I said, well, that's fine. What were you using it for? It's like, I don't know. 
Oh, like, gosh. Wait a minute. Oh, my you, God. You don't know what it is and you don't know what you're using it for. And, but you want to buy more of it? Like, yeah. Like, was it helping? I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. I, I can't help you. Here's some garlic. And that's not the kind of herbalism that I recommend. You know, when, when I speak about self-care, I think we should all be more involved with our health, even if we do need to occasionally seek the guidance of other people. Um, but I think that we should do some research and listen to our bodies and, and double check for those herb-drug interactions and make sure that we've correctly identified the plants. You know, those are my four basic safety rules. And to me, they seem like common knowledge and, and, and they make sense. But oftentimes I do see people who don't do that. And they're just like, oh, I'm making tea with such and such. I'm like, that's not that herb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you should check a field guide first. Yeah, we've I think we've been trained over the past century or so as as our current health system slowly built itself up. We've been trained to give our power to the doctors or the people that had the schooling, mm-hmm. and and now to the health insurance companies who are really making the real decisions about our health care. And many people just don't even realize that they've given their power away. They just they don't think about it that way. And that, I mean, I, that's one of my frustrations with healthcare. And I think that's one of the things I liked about your book is that it explained enough about each of the body systems that I could see this is where an imbalance may or may not be happening. These are some herbal ideas. Oh, I can get a diagnosis. Then I can take that diagnosis and pair it with information on these, this set of herbs that might work. And, oh, you've listed that these ones might have some interactions. So that allows me to take that to my pharmacist and talk to him or her about, you know, as someone who's already in the medical system, if you've already got a diagnosis, like, you know, that you've got diabetes, you know, you've just been diagnosed with type two diabetes, you can now pick up the book, get a better sense of what that really means. Look at some herbs, talk to your physicians, understand when they're talking about this interaction or that interaction, what that might mean. It's a lot more empowering. Yeah. yeah. But with the great power become, comes great responsibility. You know, there's yes. a saying from the superhero <laughs> movies. Spider-Man. But, yeah. uh, but, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It, you right. can start with just one plant and you can start with really simple, very safe things. But you should still educate yourself and, yeah. and just approach it in a sensible kind of way. Yeah. So what's your take on supplements? You, you mentioned it a few times, and I know that can be a contentious I, issue. I don't use supplements a lot. I really, and, and having worked in natural food stores, I used to run a supplement department um, in my local co-op. And there's another family-run natural food store that I worked off and on at for many years during my herbal education and in college. And uh, and so I've worked, been around supplements, but when it comes down to it, if I see people buying hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of pills, I'd actually rather they spent that money on food. And sometimes it is a choice. Sometimes people can buy all of it, and that's great, but oftentimes it's a choice. And so I really like, I think as many herbalists do, I generally prefer food, whole foods, whole herbs. You know, there are some exceptions here and there, but um, there are a few supplements that I occasionally recommend in my practice, like magnesium and maybe a multivitamin or a a nice food-based B-complex or a coenzyme B-complex. But for the most part, I, I kind of try to coach people towards healthier ways of eating yeah, that that's, fish oil is another one. Probiotics, right. but I also love fermented foods. So, yeah, cod liver oil, mm, cod liver yeah. oil. Someone I know accidentally <laughs> ended up with like seven cases of cod liver oil oh recently. Gosh. Yes. Mm, How me. does one use cod liver oil? 
Any thoughts? Or just official. <laughs> Any suggestions? I'll make it three. Um, well, I, seven cases, you said? Yeah. Oh, my. Okay, yeah, that's a lot. Um, so maybe put it in the refrigerator for if you have space so that it doesn't go rancid because that's always a concern with those fish oils, and then they're not really good for you anymore. But um, but if you have animals, you can add it to their food and give them a nice coat and help with them. You know, omega-3s, help. they help improve the lining of all of our cells. They help improve the lining of our nervous system. They help our body create anti-inflammatory compounds. So it gives them a wide range of benefits throughout the body. Um, So everything from hair, skin, nails to cardiovascular health, brain health, on and on mood. Um, So you can just take a spoonful of it a day and mix it into a smoothie. Or sometimes I like to mix it into something that's already kind of fatty. Like in the holiday season, eggnog is a pretty good thing to mix it in with. And it makes it a little bit more palatable. Just a little bit because I don't want to be drinking a whole glass of but Fishy just, just a little shot glass of eggnog. With okay, so let's bag up here. Or orange juice. <laughs> orange juice. Cuts the grease, so orange orange juice. Well It'll do that. So you're saying you take some eggnog and you put a spoonful of the fish oil, the cod liver oil in there. Yep. And then chug it and then find something else oh, nicer good. to drink after that. And then okay. grab a lemon probably. Put the get that, that Actually, into that it's not too after. bad. It's not too bad with the with the eggnog. It kind of helps cut it. If you can do mm-hmm. egg, you know, you can do dairy can do, and eggs. You know, those can be problematic right. foods for some people. But does but the, the cinnamon help too? Or a nutmeg? Yeah, the nutmeg. Yeah, nutmeg yeah. probably yeah. probably helps with the Put dirt digestion. Yeah. Wow. That, <laughs> <sighs> I'm just gonna. I, to, I admit, I don't take my my fish oil. I take my fish oil in capsules. I I tried doing it in liquid, and I just couldn't stick with it yeah. yeah well i think you still have some of those cases, yeah if you change your you? mind I'm, I'm your gal thanks that was a smooth way of getting Good out of job. that <laughs> wow thanks thank you so much for being with us and interviewing with us if you want more information on the body into balance and maria noel Grove's work in the Wintergreen Botanicals Herbal Clinic and Education Center. Check out our show notes on practicalherbalist.com. You'll also see information on herbs and a virtual herb walk on the wintergreenbotanicals.com website. And you can see links on herbs and resources we mentioned in this show, including our own ebooks, recipes, how to's, and other podcasts on the practicalherbalist.com. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Pinterest, join our conversations on Twitter. And as a last note, we welcome you to add to our comments section on this podcast for our, for our responses in later shows. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com.